All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 308. Jason Lingren is with me and George Mesa is with us. We will uh, be going back on video games. You know, I've mentioned a lot of times in uh, some of the most viewed movies of our era, like Marvel, why in the heck is it that uh, Iron Man takes a minute to say, hey, man, that dude's playing Galaga. I saw him. No one else saw him. Why Why do they even bother? And then at the end of that scene, they take about, I don't know, three seconds to show the dude start Galaga up again when no one's paying attention. There's a reason for these things. Um, And it's kind of encoded in the old movie, The Last Starfighter. I think it's an 80s flick about a guy in a mobile home park and they put one of those console games in. But the purpose of the game was to determine who was the best starfighter in the world so that they could come recruit them. And this is just kind of an inkling about where this goes. As everyone knows, gaming has gotten so far advanced now that there are devices watching every movement in the room. When young people or old people play the games, all the data is being collected. And there are even boards uh, in the world that say who's the best at this, that, or the other thing. They rank. And this all goes somewhere, I would suggest. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Greetings, Starfighter. You have been yeah. recruited by the Star League <laughs> to defend the frontier against Zer and the Kodan Armada. Damn, you still remember? I think I, we were still doing drive-ins and smoking bongs when that came out, I'm reasonably sure. Um, but anyhow, you got anything <laughs> or should we jump in? Now let's do this. All right, welcome, George. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. All right, well, we've got quite a list to get through here, and we're going to, of course, hit the... Uh, the major releases starting in the early 60s. For my part, I think it was the 70s when my non-technical family that didn't even get a color TV till the mid-80s um, had a Pong game sitting around in the house. And that was the big changeover, wasn't it? That was the first time a television could be interactive. Um, but where do you want to pick up here, George? That's actually a, a great place to pick up on, just exactly how you said it, placing it into the household. because. Um, there's always been this sort of stigma about surveillance in the home, especially ever since, you know, uh, 2001. And I think that the, the simple concept of, of placing this unit in your house that people are almost drawn to mysteriously in a certain way, they, they place an allure on, on you owning it. Like, oh, you can have your own personal console in your home. The kids will love it. They even sold it sometimes as, you know, it's almost a babysitter. You need to do dishes, have the kid play a video game. And then slowly but surely, we've got cell phones, we've got all these units that are suddenly, you know, um, spying on us with audio and visual. And um, I think the games placing them in the home was almost one of the most important ways to start to kick this off, to kick off that surveillance state. Well, what's crazy uh, is had you shown people up front way back when Pong was a thing where this went, I doubt if they would have accepted it. Although the groundwork was set with the TV becoming the babysitter uh, before all this happened. But I can still remember uh, when my nephew's uh, Xbox One and it moved forward. And back then I was aware that the numbering was telling you, just like the cell phone numbering, if you know how to do a cult reduction, uh, was telling you where you were in a given cycle. Uh, they had a thing, what was it called? Connect or Kinetics or something. Uh, like. Right. Yeah, they built yeah, it connect, right, right. Yeah, they built it right into the console and people... We're up in arms, supposedly, so they disconnected it from the console. But that was the point at which I would have no more to do with it. 
we had an Xbox one or two, uh, and that's as far as it went. Uh, and that's not been in my house, but let's go back to the beginning. Let's pick up there. Sure. And you know, if I may just throw one more comment in about that connect idea is that, that there was also the first system that really demanded that you subscribe to their user base. And, and that goes right into what you were saying, whether it's collecting like the Starfighter was looking for the best player and, and it's the same idea. And of course it was owned by Microsoft. So there's no debating that, um, <laughs> that connection there for sure. So as far as, you know, space war, especially, uh, coming on that, that time period where computers were the size of <laughs> entire rooms, I guess. And just to have a little 10 inch screen, a fuzzy 10 inch screen for that matter. I, I thought it was very interesting as I was researching some of this, uh, over again, cause I haven't looked at that particular uh, era in quite a while, actually. And, it was, you know, two-player simultaneous gameplay, which was definitely a, a big thing for sure. And in the center of the, the game, there was this little star, and it created what they called a gravitational body. And I thought that that was very interesting. Now, coming to this, knowing what I know now versus what I used to know, um, let's say 10, even five years ago, it, it's interesting how much the word gravity comes up and how much outer space comes up during all of these things. It just seems like the PSYOP was there from the start. And um, all the big players that, that funded it to begin with, I think, are very telling. And the idea that they wanted to give people, in quotes, I say, control over a simple sprite. Because when it comes to binary things, um, there's not much control at all. You can only do what you're allowed to do. Just picture, let's say, a sprawling landscape in a video game. You see all these fancy things, rocks, trees, and all this other stuff. And if, if it's not programmed that you can interact with the tree, it is simply just the background. And um, I, I think this illusion of control is, is actually a really big part of what comes with the territory of video games nowadays, especially. But um, I thought it was interesting that they mentioned, again, gravity, outer space. Uh, uh, these things are always triggering for me. I, I immediately think there's something up. I immediately think there's a side up, no matter who's funding it, no matter what's behind it. You make a valid point, and I'll underscore here. Um, since I have to take care of older people, I get stuck in front of a television, which really kind of bothers me. But you got to do what you got to do in this world. Try to put in the earplugs and read. But I recently saw the pilot episode of Big Bang again, and it's echoing exactly what you're pointing out in 1962 Space War. Here comes their idea of gravity and space they want you to accept. In the first episode of Big Bang, which at one time was the most popular sitcom in the world for quite some period of time, most eyes watching. Um, they brought up Madame Curie. They brought up the Big Bang. They, they did exactly what you're pointing out here. It's almost like, and I'm saying almost like because Jason and I have covered this, uh, it's claimed that there are guys right in the room that insert all these things uh, that could be labeled as social programming uh, right Everything's written, everything's approved, they're going to production, and right at that last minute, apparently, is the claim when these things are gone over and words adjusted, and then it goes to, to be filmed. But you want to jump in here, Jason? 1962, Space War. So Space War is interesting because it had a physics engine, didn't it? Indeed, absolutely. And that's a big deal because most things didn't have a physics engine. And what I mean by that is the spaceships operated like the gravity that they programmed into the game. So what's up with that? That was something they thought about really early on. That is a very good point to mention because uh, oh, throughout the years I've been engrossed. Um, you know, I, I would lie if I said I wasn't a gamer, but a lot's changed for me in the past uh, few years for sure. But I was there. I was there when they were advertising it throughout the 90s, throughout the 2000s when it was really heavy. I had all the magazines. And the reason I'm mentioning all this is because I'm well in tune with how the advertising was at all times. And the physics came up so often 
they always use the word physics, you know, improved physics, um, realistic physics, these terms. And for them to put it in a game like this uh, so long ago, I mean, it, it seemed like it was technologically a big deal, but it, it's definitely a big part of what was to come. And it helped people connect with it more because when you're playing Pong, you're definitely not going to get immersed into some special world that didn't exist before. You know you're playing a game. It's very, very, very simple. You don't even have to explain it to someone. And with Space War now, you have two people at once. And first of all, you're competing, uh, which, which adds another layer to begin with. And then you're using the physics in a way you start to learn how to manipulate the physics. The game allows you to feel like you're learning as you play, regardless of whether or not there's instruction. And again, this, this goes a long way into making people more connected with something. You know, we should make the point, um, because we're going to mention a couple of the guys that are involved with Space War, um, what they were doing and where they went to work. But does anyone consider that when you first, like, I don't know, it was maybe the 80s or something when you started seeing these Marine Corps Cobras with a heads-up display in, mm. the, uh, in the helicopters? What do you think the foundations of all that are? For that matter, look where we are now. We do drones. So if there's some kid in the world that's ranked number one in Halo as mm. a sniper or something, how would that translate to the modern ideas of military? Uh, it's all remote control, but some of these guys in Space War, um, they have connections, don't they? Steve Russell as one? Steve Russell, absolutely. Um, the people that, that funded this, I mean, just the idea of where it all took place and what was growing at the time, you know, at Stanford, Artificial Intelligence Lab. I mean, it's, it's all in plain sight. You don't even have to do any research. It says Artificial Intelligence Lab right on there, you know. And um, interesting side note is that as I was looking up some of the, the guys that were involved with all of these earlier games, uh, several of their children were marked on Wikipedia as having worked for Lockheed Martin afterwards. And again, there's another name that, that you know, you're expecting to pop up in all this. I just find it very interesting. Well, and the tie there's a tie over to sci-fi too, because you're, in your notes here, it claims that Russell was inspired by Lensman novels from Tokusatsu and Disney space novels. So there it is again. Jason and I have done a lot of work to show the purpose of sci-fi. Uh, when I was young, sci-fi got no respect. As a matter of fact, one of the best sci-fi movies of all time is usually the first Blade Runner. It's ranked right up there. Um, it got zero respect when it went to the Academy Awards and they gave costume awards to Gandhi and other places. Um, that shows uh, how sci-fi was perceived at the time. It was fantasy-based. It was for children. But here again, we see the tie to sci-fi and then That's over to Lockheed Martin, which is the industrial military complex. Right. I think that's a really good point to make, too, especially the idea that it was, I wouldn't say shunned, but it was just seen as banter, you know, artless at first, uh, the whole sci-fi realm. Meanwhile, they were essentially, you know, in my personal opinion, and I have a feeling you guys feel similarly, um, telling us exactly what was coming from people that knew exactly what was coming. And um, th this idea that video games started out the same way they did. Um, they, they certainly did. You, you were, you know, you were just some nerd who spent his days doing something unimportant and um, avoiding all your responsibilities, essentially, I guess is how it was looked at. And now being a nerd is cool. And now it's cool. You're right. And because um, <laughs> I saw a few different um, things that were saying that the 35 year old is the primary purchaser of games and that somewhere in the late 20s is the primary player of these games. I thought the numbers were going to be for much younger kids. And that was a pretty modern study that I was looking at from maybe 2016. 
So that actually surprised me because, again, start just mentioning this exact thing where it started out with, with kids. It was supposed to be just something fun to do on the side. And then uh, suddenly it's very more than popular. I mean, it's, it's making more money than videos. I'm sorry, uh, movies and music combined at this point. The industry is just so it has been for something like time. I mean, it wasn't far. Jason, and I covered this. I think it was around the year 2000, uh, not far from the year 2000, when it didn't just overtake it. It whomped it. I mean, it went way beyond what movies were making. And people had no idea. It's in the billions. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And at this point, um, I don't know if we went and did the numbers now, but I guess what we're going to do here is we're going to do the decades. So we're in the 60s. Uh, is there anything to wrap up on the ideas when we're just first seeing these things? And by the way, I would point out, you know, Space War, I guess you guys are aware of it, but it was not commonplace, that the knowledge of this game where I grew up. Yeah, I, I only found it through research. It wasn't the kind of thing that my gaming buddies in quotes were talking about. It eventually there was, you know, the the history of video games were becoming more sought after. There were, you know, some books and some, you know, documentaries, and then I found out about space war. I certainly didn't know about it before that. Well, look at the idea right out of the gate. You got your space idea. You got your war idea. Why is it like? And you can see this being pushed so vehemently uh, in uh, car programming mm. episodes around cars always have a death idea attached to them roadkill um you know um the ghouls uh, that which is basically a, a dead thing um and this idea of death has just swept up but you can see back in 62 from the get-go uh they had to get their war ideas in there but the one that i am most aware of uh, that was a big changeover was Pong, 1972. And I think it was around 72 when somehow, I think someone had given it to my father. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had it because there's no way in hell he'd have spent money on this thing. But that was the first one that made it into our <laughs> black and white TV household. Right, right. And again, uh, as we were saying much earlier, that it, it brought it to the home. It was It was time to see if there was a market for this, I guess. Now, me saying that even is just me going based on what I know. I, I look back and now I say, oh, they weren't trying to market it. They, they wanted it in the homes. They, it was going to happen no matter what. It wasn't a matter of the market. You know, I feel like these things are, and this is me personally speaking, that I feel that they're putting it for a reason. It's all by design. And the, the slow, you know, um, increase in popularity of video games has been manufactured from the start. I think they're proving it for sure. Well, the one thing about Pong was it was fun, like for an hour. And then right. nobody nobody used it. But look who's involved here. Harvard, MIT, IBM, Rancorp, Stanford, Mag Magnavox, Mattel, Warner, Disney, Mitsubishi, Sony, Microsoft. The list goes on beyond that because I've seen it before. So you can see that there's an intention by all the big players to drive it. But this brings me up to the 90s, the idea of Pong, because the same thing's going on here. They put all this effort to make a game, which is all right. So it's two-way. It's interactive for the first time. Your television can now take input. So that's a big changeover. But you see, they're pushing a thing that's really not that useful or that interesting. And I guess they'll claim it was popular. I think a lot of people got them, but I think a lot of people collected dust after they played it for a little while because it was too boring. As a matter of fact, they went back, shrunk the paddles, did speed controls to try to get interest back in it. But you see, at the early part of the, of the internet, at the end of the 90s, when not all businesses had clicked over to computer-based business, it was happening. And the promise was everything's going to be easier. We're not going to use paper anymore. 
And the exact opposite was true because I was there. I worked in a place where we put some of the first video banner ads the internet ever saw. We were running those suckers at three frames a second video, calling it video, running it at three frames a second to jam it down a phone line because people still had phone lines back then. So what actually happened was all these things that were not useful were forced into the mainstream and they just kept wasting time, money, effort, everything that had never happened before in the onset of a thing that would become so predominant. Usually in the past history, a thing has a use. It's popular. It makes something better. The internet was not that. It made everything more difficult. Nothing worked. Things broke all the time. Nothing was compatible. Uh, you used probably 10 or 20 times the amount of paper in the place that I was working, which was one of the promises. And that is how the internet was mainstreamed in. It was just forced forward. And to me, Pong feels a little bit like that. Yeah, definitely. Especially because of just what you said. It really is. It's almost too simple to be entertaining for too long. And it's not like, you know, with tennis where you're outside playing with someone for real. This is more of a just a few blips on a screen. There's no genuine uh, level of reward except for beating the opponent. And it couldn't have been more basic. But again, uh, this is the kind of thing where a lot of these things that have auspicious beginnings there, they're often very simple and, and they evolve very quickly. And it's almost, it's, it's almost questionable because I, you have to question everything at this point, it, especially the way that we've had televisions enter our lives and the internet, like you were saying. They could have done more, it seems. It almost seems like they just said, yeah, this is good enough. But whoever wanted this to be there, I think, realized that if they were going to get older people involved, because they were looking for the youth, as they always do, just like the way, you know, the way cigarette heads are at, at kids' eye height, that kind of thing. They're always trying to get them young. And with a, with a game just like this, it's accessible to almost 100% of the population. And I think that is one thing that games don't do anymore, because we've evolved into them, as opposed to this, which is the very first time. Well, there's a, there's a trajectory you can see from 62 forward. So they're trying to get computing to do a thing in space war, but where is it headed? It's headed to the console idea, and that's 1972. Well, where's this little, you know, two paddle thing, you know, two little wheels we turn to move paddles? It's a console. It literally is in your house. You plug it into your TV. Where's that headed? That's going to go to the arcades. So you can almost detect that there was an intended trajectory here. Um, and as we get up to the arcades in the 80s, that's really the big change point. Um, I don't think people had any idea what our world would become. And who knows how much of, how much of what we live with now is on the back of the development of gaming. I don't think you can really argue that things like all the military applications don't have a connection. And I don't think that you can really argue there isn't a specific reason why things like like whatever the hell, I think it's the Winter Soldier Marvel movie, one of the most popular films in the world at the time. In other words, most eyes possible, most minds tied up in it. They're inserting these just non-storyline, non-important ideas. And there's a reason for these things. And I think it just shows the undercurrent that there was an intention from the beginning and there was a goal in mind. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And just like you said, it's there for a reason. And especially when you're creating media like this, like a movie, whether it's hand-drawn or whether it's a film, every single thing is there for a reason. I mean, there's no accidental guy in the background. That's not how it works. They take these shots multiple times uh, very often. And whether they do any digital overlay afterwards is whatever, but they're, they're, it's all there for a reason. Every single thing is there for a reason. And uh, whoever funds it is usually the one that, that uh, does it. And later on, when we talk about 
uh, some of the more important companies that fund games more than the ones that make them, uh, I think that we'll, we'll be able to shed some more light on how important it is and who backs these things up to begin with, which is something that you guys do on this show every single time, always making sure you show everyone exactly who is in charge of the things that you grew up with. Because um, well, every, everything's changing for me. You know, everything I learned about it's always the opposite suddenly. Well, I think 72 is a little before Jason's time, but as we jump up into the 80s, that would be Jason's time. And so, you know, I, I think we can leave the 70s behind. That's the other thing. How many actual memorable, and I'm not a gamer, so I guess I can't answer this, but how many memorable, everyone remembers Pong because it was considered to be one of the first, but how many memorable games came out of the 70s? We had those little cartridge games by the end of the 70s, right? Those little consoles yeah. that took a cartridge. And so there were a number of memorable games coming out of that. But that's the other thing. You're looking at, what was that? That was 8-bit color or something? <laughs> you could basically put four or five colors on the uh, on the screen and everything yeah. was pixel-based. Yeah, it wasn't much. We're talking about the era of arcades kicking off in the late 70s. So there's tons of games, actually, going from the late 70s to the early 80s because the Atari picked up from that. But Atari was making games for these arcades, and arcades became huge. Think about the movie Tron, for instance. That's like 82. Right. Arcades were all the rage by then. Sure, sure. Especially in Asia, but here too. Um, you know, it's it's been, a, it was a part of our culture. These little, you know, dimly lit, no bathroom available uh, arcades that were around then. And I was born in 82, so I wasn't there for the early arcade um, revolution. But, you know, there was a sort of like a death and rebirth in the video game industry before the Nintendo Entertainment System came out here. So I was definitely around for that and to see arcades thriving beyond that. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, well, Jason makes a good point with Tron, so I think he's right. I didn't look it up. I think it is 82, um, but look at the storyline in there. Um, transhumanism built right in. You're going to get sucked into this computer, and that's from the outset. And, of course, if I'm not mistaken, that's a Disney uh, franchise. Pretty sure I remember that correctly. Yeah, one of the few original sci-fi concepts that Disney ever did, besides Black Hole, they didn't do very much original stuff. Most Disney stuff is rehashes of older stories. And, and they're they're releasing it as the craze. I mean, there's a point where all those quarters going into arcade machines, they're doing some serious business. It's a very short window that this goes on. It moves through that pretty quickly, uh, but it leaves a mark. I mean, there are still people today getting these old arcade games, and they're still showing up in movies. You know, Galaga showing up in, in Marvel movies. It goes to show, but they're, they're hitting the time notes right as the popularity is big. And so at the time, you're thinking, oh, they made this movie because this is popular. I think it's the other way around. I think it's a train on the track with a goal in mind. And the manipulation of societal norms is going to be part of it along the way. So I think the timing of these things is known. And he makes, you know, George, you made another good point with Pong. Couldn't they have done better? Um, yeah. Is this is this another case of them couching how much technology is really available and only showing what they want seen? I mean, it kind of seems that way. It does, and based on the track record of any of these companies that you feel like naming that we just named, um, I would say that it's provable for sure. It's, with a little more research, it would go pretty quick. Um, it, it's like with any of these things, as soon as you take the first layer off the onion, the surface area research it reveals so much that goes 180 degrees against what I thought growing up because you grow up through it and you don't realize it. And then you look back and not to sound redundant, but I couldn't agree more with you um, that of course it was placed at a certain time in a certain era in a certain part of the world you know, pushed to a certain audience. 
uh, it, it's almost as if they tried to have people that are growing up with it become a certain thing by the time they're ready to really push the next level, which I would say happened right after 2000, 2001, for reasons that are, I would say, are fairly obvious, a certain event around that time. It all seemed to lead up to that. And movies did the same thing, just like, you know, Space Odyssey and all these other movies, they, they, they hint at things and they're placed there for a very specific reason, it seems, um, almost 100% of the time. Well, think think about where they're showing you Gallagher in the Marvel movie. They're on this flying aircraft carrier. You know, it's all mm. about the tech, mm. um, and everything. Yeah, everything about what they're doing is tech. You know, uh, Iron Man's hacking the computer with a little button-sized thing. He just throws on one of the monitors. It's all about tech, and that's where they chose to insert the arcade idea. But it's interesting too because they have the trading card idea in there. And that echoes back to another thing. And what you begin to realize is the big kind of cultural moments in our life. If you look at who owned them or who came to own them, it's always the same old crowd. It's, it's the biggies. I don't think people ever had any idea how big Magnavox or General Electric actually were. Now, when we think of places like this, we think of Disney, but these places were no different back in the day. It's just that they couldn't be open monopolies. So they had a gazillion, I don't know if subsidiary is the right word, but they had sub corporations that people didn't realize were controlled by the overarching. You can even go back to the old television black and white shows and you'll see oh this was sponsored by general electric or you know or occasionally they'd be advertising something and they would have to say on the air uh, owned by the parent company whoever it was as a matter of fact it was not too long ago when the news had to admit that they don't have to anymore when fox and cnn were playing their red blue mind spells i don't know maybe 10 15 years ago i'm guessing when they covered certain things they had to admit who their parent company was and why were these companies so huge? Because they did business with the military-industrial complex. Clearly, from, from the outset. General Electric? Oh, my God. They were doing business all the way back, I think, in World War One, Definitely World War Two. But all these companies, Magnavox, all of them, they were doing stuff with radio for the uh, First World War. Like, they were all in bed with all this stuff. That's how they got so huge so quick. Well, there's an interesting story that we should tell at some point. Um, did The early internet is basically owned and operated through MIT. And it's hidden, but they, and early on, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go back and look because I started doing notes for this at one point, and I knew it from having some of the jobs that I did. When you wanted to get a web address early on, that was coming from MIT, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to go back and look at my notes, but you know, the, look at the list we just said. When they're putting out Pong, Harvard, MIT, IBM, Rant, it goes on and on. Stanford. So we've already named three of the big, I don't know if MIT's Ivy League, but two of the big Ivy League schools are already in on this. And Jason and I showed how quickly those were bought out before the age of Aquarius. Ideas mm -hmm. of the early 60s, those places had already been infiltrated. So it seems that the further we go along, the more we realized that we were basically like a butterfly in a kill jar. We thought we had free reign. We thought we were living in a whole other place, but it's really not so at all. No, that's uh, right on the money as far as I'm concerned. And, and the main word that we could use here is uh, fantasy. I mean, this is supposed to just be fantasy fun. And no matter how complex or not complex the controller or the story is, you're just supposed to have a little getaway for yourself, you know, and it's, it's turning into this thing where, well, not only people are doing it maybe more than they should be, but there's also people that are making quite a lot of money streaming these games as they play them. And I can almost, uh, I, what came to mind, but, but based on some of the paychecks these guys are getting, and it's all mostly um, donation money. It's not like they're, most of them aren't sponsored. And the ones that are, are making a little extra, 
companies like Red Bull and some other companies are sponsoring these streamers, Bud Light. But think about the way those artists were making unbelievable millions for their paintings that were so simple, whether they're amazing or not. I don't know if $5 million can go to anyone for anyone saying it, it seems like a bit much, you know, but these streamers are making that kind of money. And I'm wondering if that's also being pushed on purpose, you know, that let this become a, a certain kind of career and let certain kids think they can start making millions doing this and just get them all involved, get them, get their faces on the screen, you know? Well, one of the number one career choices for young kids these days is that they want to be a YouTube personality. Sure, 100%. Kids 100%. listening, it's not at all cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot better when all you're doing is sitting around playing video games with a headset on talking to your friends. <laughs> all, the, all the glitters is not gold. <laughs> no, that is, that is a definite. Oh, man, can't agree more. So what I, what I recall because I'm of age in the 80s. I become 21 in the 80s. Matter of fact, 1984, I become 21. Actually, 83, but the last month of 83. So what I recall about the first games that came, and I was out in the boonies in the East County of San Diego a bit, uh, the first one that came to town that was a big deal was Asteroids. And after that, the next one that appeared was Galaga, that ended up being a big deal. Uh, and we were not, we were outside people, even when we were young. And when we went to go play the games, you know, you might spend a buck or two, but it was not where a lot of people were just saving up every penny they had to go live in an arcade. Where we were, it was more about being outside. But those two games made a big impact out in the middle of nowhere in East County, San Diego, because they sat in a 7 Eleven, which was our local store that we walked a mile to get to. I'm curious about the cost of a video game, popping a quarter in there, considering how much inflation, I mean, the, the cost of living and all that, popping a quarter into a machine has to have been a lot more than it did as the 80s rolled on. I mean, is, was that a lot for the 70s? Do you remember? You mean, you mean what they were making from the quarter drops? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like you're popping a quarter and then another quarter, then another quarter. That quarter would have gone a lot further and they would have gotten a lot more yes. financial power out of people dropping quarters in there than later on, which is why eventually they started going up to 50 cents or more. Yeah, you could still buy stuff with a quarter. With two quarters, you could, I don't remember exactly, but you could probably buy a 12-ounce Coke in a bottle. Um, with a quarter, you could still buy a candy bar or something like that. Uh, I'm reasonably sure at that time. And there, we actually looked, Jason, I don't know if you remember, at, at what was being pulled in uh, at the pitch fever of the height of arcades. And it was a crap load of money, just not for a lot of people. There were very few people who owned the big arcades, but even the smaller stuff, there was an offshoot of that where companies would own these little slot machines that sold stickers or they were gaming or whatever, and they'd get them still all the way into the 90s. End of the 90s, this was still going on everywhere, but it was a lot of money for a very short window of time for the people emptying the coin trays. The price, the idea of price is something I thought we could discuss today as far as from our, what I remember in the late 80s, 90s, the price of a cartridge, a video game for a console really hasn't gone up that much at all. I mean, it was $50 to buy Zelda in the 80s, and it's a little over $10 now to buy a new AAA million dollar blockbuster game. So I thought that was a very interesting thing because the, the arcade still is considered a quarter, but some of the bigger machines cost a bit more than a quarter nowadays. But that's just for the big, like, huge screen, you grab a gun shooter kind of game. They charge you way more per game. But a quarter still works. I remember Atari games for 2600 costing in the 20s, but no more than $30. Ah, 
If you just think about the inflation rate, yeah, I mean, that's not a big deal. Here is the inflation rate. So here's the value of $25 from 82 to 2021. $25 in 1982 is the equivalent purchase power of $68.14 today. Well, that's about right. You go buy an Xbox game today, it's in that ballpark. Yep, that's right. It's, it's 60 to 70 bucks. And that, of course, is if we do end up talking about this maybe later, is that there's all these online additions you can add to your physical cartridge or you know CD. Oh, DLC. A lot of <laughs> DLC. And it's, you know. <laughs> what a scam. They've oh, got so. that one figured out. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, eventually games like Fortnite, which I do hope we can talk about later because there's a whole side up behind that, in my opinion. Uh, the game is free. You can have it for free. But if anyone's looking to do more than just the basic run of it for a week or two, you're spending $400 a year easily just to get upgrades and silly little things. Uh, one of the things you had mentioned in the previous video game episode, because I did listen to it again recently, you were saying that these kids are working to get the upgrade so that their shotgun can be gray instead of purple, you know, and that's that's all the reward that they get. And that's what people are paying for. They're paying 20 bucks for some skins to make a guy look a little different. The gameplay doesn't change. Nothing changes in the experience. It's just a, it's a showing. It's like a badge of honor online. You see, oh, he paid 20 bucks for his skin. Amazing. Free games cost a lot of money nowadays. Yeah, free games aren't so free, are they? <laughs> no, no. And that's something you had also said in the last uh, episode. You mentioned that game that they were using to, you know, prop up and get people interested in going to war, essentially. And it was a free game. And you said, if something's free, then you are the product. And that is, that couldn't be more true, you know? And I also uh, hope that maybe, if we can, maybe we can start it now. I was thinking of discussing the simple concept that we think we're providing the input to the game and we are, we have all our controller, we give an input, the game reacts based on the code. But ever since HD televisions, especially HD televisions, you know, the, the CRT TVs also, I imagine, I feel like the game is an input to us, which comes right back to the word programming. And you guys have discussed this in great detail with Tavistock and many other places that obviously they're creating content to be ingested by the person. And, and the game is the input I'm starting to come to realize. And it's been that all along. There's a lot of things that came along with the idea of arcades. And I th I'm sk skimming your notes. And I, I think they're also, you know, we've shown that what happened to us in 2020 was a long game. So how can this not be a part of it? And I think I'm with you on the console ideas, getting people to be home, because what we're seeing now is older people are, are sick and tired of feeling locked down and the kids are fine because they love nothing more than to play whatever the new first person shooter game is for 12 hours a day. And they'll probably be fine with getting a government handout check and not working because they can stay home and play first person shooter games all the way. But if we go back to the 80s, and you guys will both have memories of this. I'm trying to think of what the most popular games were and if most of them were shooters. I can think of a few that are not. One of the big ones is going to be Pac-Man, but that's kind of different because that was an everybody game where you find other games where it took a skill level that was different. But as I look back, the majority of the games that were console and popular that I can think of at the moment were shooters. What do you guys think? Yeah, the shooters didn't really kick into high gear until the 90s. I agree with well, that. Well, yeah. Gal Galaga's a shooter. Asteroids is a shooter. Well, not a first-person shooter, though. Is that what you're referring to, where you're walking with the gun? No, I'm, I'm talking just the idea that there's a gun and you're shooting something. Asteroids would be the first, then. Asteroid. Well, I'm thinking of popularity, though. Was the majority of 80s... Would it be fair to assume that the majority of 80s popular console games were based on the idea of shooting? You know, there were so many. I don't know if that's even going to be because there were driving games. There were all kinds of things. 
when did Mario come out? Was that an 80s thing? Yes. The original was 83, and the one that everyone knows was 85. And that, I mean, I don't think anything was more popular after Mario, because Mario said, hey, you don't have to go to the arcade anymore. Just stay home and do this. And I think it worked. Everyone that I knew had to have it. And there was a reason behind that. It, it really was very well made. It's a very fun game. It, it has a lot more dynamic quality that makes you feel a little more human about what you're doing, I guess. But as far as the shooters go, Nintendo itself also, and most people own this specific, uh, this specific cartridge, it came with Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, and it came with a gun. So they actually said, hey, buy this, and you get a gun with you, bringing a gun into the home, right? <laughs> now, I'm, I'm a gun owner. I'm not, I have nothing against them. It's like anything else. If you use it right and you're responsible, everything is just fine. Um, but, you know, they did put a gun in kids' hands. I had a gun in my hand, and way before I was ready to shoot one. Even if that little tiny gun was just the 22, the first one I shot, and you were shooting at your screen, and then the ducks would essentially fall down and die, and then the dog would collect them for you. So I think that game was actually very popular, too. So that was one that you physically were holding a gun to shoot, as opposed to asteroids where you're in outer space. And most of those shooters, I think, were in outer space, too, by the way. A lot of them were, just to mention the space thing again. But um, yeah, in the first half of the 80s, I think you're right. The shooters really were there still in the arcades. And um, because, you know, you have a joystick and one button and you don't have to go crazy as far as how much information you need to know just to be able to play it. But uh, once the NES came out in the States here, um, it was all systems go for almost any genre to thrive. Oh, you've actually got, I just noticed you've actually got last Starfighter notes here. I didn't see that earlier. Um, yeah, through a good 101 minute runtime. There it is, man. There's your 11, right? Typical Psyop, Saturn, Columbus, Wright Brothers, Excalibur. I'm um, reading through Hero's Journey. What can you add about the 80s, Jason, before we start getting up into the 90s? Because I had nephews and that, you know, I'm starting to feel like I'm 10 years younger than you guys, basically. I'm feeling like I was the last generation that didn't have integral gaming as part of our coming up. We did go into put our quarters in the games. We did have a Pong around, but it was such an infinitesimal part of life that I can't even count it as important beyond just a memory of something we did occasionally. Well, The Last Starfighter is kind of an early indicator of what was to come. The plot line, if anybody's unfamiliar, is that an alien puts a video game on Earth and the person who wins, the young fellow, is then taken to actually fight the real war. So, <laughs> does that sound familiar? <laughs> Drones, anyone? <laughs> very, very familiar. Exactly. You also marked the movie The Wizard um, with that popular little actor, Fred Savage, I think his name is. Uh, that's a 101-minute runtime. There's another 11. <laughs> Who's going to argue that, that, doesn't, that this isn't the same 11 playing out in 2001? But what were you going to say, George? I actually missed whatever thought I was about to uh, spit out. But I, I agree with these numbers. I, the more, and I'm not going to be redundant about it and say it every time we look at a movie or a game, but I, I have a lot of release dates and um, run times and such written out right in front of me here. And there is 9-11 all over the place. And it's not just, I have to work really hard and reverse ordinal. It's right there, you know, as soon as you do the numbers. It's everywhere. It's all over these very important games with these very important release dates. And um, it can't be a coincidence anymore. We have to say that at this point, you know? Let's be honest. It was never a damn coincidence, which we're led to believe. Someone chooses that edit time. Someone right. chooses to leave in this content or remove that content. It's... TV shows are the perfect example. Used to be in a half an hour, you had two breaks. It was a minute for each commercial. So basically, you're looking at 28 minutes of runtime. 
Well, we know where we are now. I think in an hour, you lose 15 or 20 minutes to commercials now. So what I'm pointing out is the runtime of television is locked in stone. And if you don't think that translates over to any other form, even popular music, I remember when Zeppelin came out with the most popular rock song of all frickin' time. Nope, we can't run that. That sucker's over 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> same thing told for for Queen's big Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, we can't run it. These become some of the most important movies, which show that the boxes they're building to jam everything in are, are not true because the things that break them become some of the biggest deals in popular culture. But at no time... Well, I accept the argument that a runtime and a release date are not chosen and chosen for a reason because I've looked at them long enough and I can prove that these are decisions. They're not just things that happen. They are decisions. Yes, I, I 100%. You know, there, there's no way I can't possibly imagine an argument otherwise as far as this being a deliberate thing. And yeah, it's been proven a million times, especially by people like you guys, but I appreciate that very much. Once you look, once you look carefully, you begin to see. And the main catch for me is the numbers is is the tricky thing because you don't want to become the self-fulfilling guy that makes every number do what you want it to do. What you right. need to do is have a set of rules. And my rules are very simple. It's why I don't use anything above nine. I use all single digits for the most part. There's little places where I, I go away from that and I'll do higher numbers. But the rule is... You can take a number like four. If you want to do a cult edition, which has been around since the beginning of time, you add one, two, three, and four, and you get a number. Now, when you've got that number, which if I'm not mistaken, that's 10, uh, which shows that there's a perfection idea wrapped up in four, among other things. And every three numbers will come to 10 in that way. The reduction is back to one. My point is the only other way you can do it, in my view, if you want to be honest, and a proven method that's been around much longer than most of us even have a memory of history is you can take a number and reduce it. If you get 22, that becomes four. There's rules, of course, 22 is a special number, 11 is a special number, 33 is a special number, but my point is if you get a five and a six, you can turn that into 11, that 11 becomes a two. These are tested, proven methods that have been in usage since Lord knows how long ago. So people doing more than this, and from my point of view, have to do some pretty diligent work to show there's a there there and prove that they're not just forcing numbers to do a thing they want it to do. For sure. And they make it so obvious that it's not even hard to do if anyone out there listening hasn't tried and thinks it might be fun to approach a movie or something that they've had in their lives and want to see it from a new light. These things jump out almost immediately. I, I rewatched Ready Player One because I noticed that you had mentioned it a, a good amount in the previous video game episode, and you should. Steven Spielberg, that's already a red flag for me. At the end of the movie, just to uh, remark on the things we've been talking about, right at the end of the movie, there's this vehicle that shows up and it says 9-11 emergency right on it. And then right before that, seconds before, there was a building and it's had 1172. And there, once again, it's your, you know, it, it's, it's just everywhere. And I don't, and yet you don't want to be one of those people that's just looking for it and, and trying to make it out of anything that you see. There's plenty of numbers, just for people listening, there's plenty of numbers that I've had to put together for some of the movies and games released, and they don't and they do not do it. So it's not like it's every single time, but when there's two within a 30-second moment in a movie that's very prominently seen near the end, I think that that says something. That definitely says something. Well, you know, that was one thing that I gained from working as a roadie for most of the 90s. Um, you come to realize there is where the customer 
or the fans are, and then there's backstage. Everything in front of backstage is placed there carefully as the only things the audience will be allowed to see. Hmm. Uh, there's a whole way of speaking when you're working as a roadie, like what's house right, what's stage right, what's right. house let you know, all these ideas and then scrims and blackouts and all these things that go, what it's basically doing is ensuring that you understand if you work there, everything on the stage was thought about, planned for, carefully put there, and everything else was blocked out of sight of view, usually with black curtains or scrims. And so there it is. And even to the even up into the 90s, every stagehand that had a show call, you know what they all did in common? They didn't bring tools for the most part, and they wore black. Mm. And so this is this is what you know. And so all these things that we're talking about, a good place to understand is, did someone make a decision to put this there? And so if you're watching a movie and there's an address, someone made a decision. But for my part, it's a sense of smell because it's how it's shown that always lets me know like that two second cut to a number, a license plate, an address. Why? Why does it matter? It's not integral to the storyline to understand what the address is or what the license plate number is. And so what they're doing is they're putting their little kicks in the cojones in. Yeah, 100%. You know, I'm actually a professional musician. I've been gigging for over 20 years, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I tell a lot of people that the stage, the show itself, the actual performance is about 5% of the work that goes into what you saw. you got to plan and make sure that, you know, everyone sees what you want them to see. If that, I don't even think I would give it 5%. The amount of work that goes, like we did Pink Floyd, uh, what was it, Division Bell? I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe it was Division Bell in the 90s. It was one of the last big Floyd runs. And so we got there. Uh, they had a crew from Brussels. I think their steel crew was from Brussels. There were, if I don't, I hope I don't mix these up because I know the stones had three stages jumping each other, but I think pink Floyd had one or two stage sets jumping. We set up for four days just to get the steel built. And, um, and those are the towers where the pigs floated out from their animals tour uh, and all that. Um, and those were 24 hour days. Mostly someone was working 24 hours, the main steel crews and everything probably doing 12 to 14. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's a 90 minute show most of the time. So what right. percentage of four days going almost around the clock? And that doesn't even include the out because the uh, out right. happens very quickly. Um, but it's everything you've put up gets jammed into trucks now. And that usually happens over the course of 12 hours or less. So the show is 90 minutes compared to all that. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's the truth. It's the sad truth. You know, the amount of work that goes into a small show is, and you, you, you hope that people think, expect that, but I don't think when I say this, you know, 5% and I really should say more like 2%, I'm just trying to hold a bit of uh, dignity for my career choice at this point. But, um, I, I wish that. People saw it, you know, it's, it's not, the, the music is a very small portion, a very small portion of it all. The relationship well, seems so much more. What's interesting about where we just kind of on accident went there is all the things we're talking about are going to come together in the nineties. Film, right. gaming, and music are all going to merge together. When I was a roadie at the beginning of my run as a roadie, it was very rare to see a robo light, what we called robo lights. Matter of fact, I think the first ones we saw might have been called Icon, if I remember correctly. But usually only the very richest productions were even going to have a couple Icons. 
We were using par cans, which is old style lighting, incandescent lighting, and Fresnel's old style lighting uh, with little things you can put over to make shapes and colors. Um, that was the whole be all and end all of lighting within the scope of the nineties. By the time we got to the end, it started to be rare to see a park can or a Fresnel and it had gone to all this led robo type lighting. So even the music industry and how you go to see a concert is changing in step with the gaming that we're talking about. And by the way, they're all going to combine because of course the best bands are going to get paid a gazillion dollars to give their music to grand theft auto as an example. Yes, that is a, a very good example to make use of uh, that kind of game that it definitely brought it all together. And I think, I'm not sure if you are saving this for you know the second hour, but the, the idea that once the games went out to CDs uh, or discs of any kind, Blu-rays too, um, now the idea that you had to read the entire story was sort of fizzling away. They, they were replacing the text with you know voice actors, often very high-paid voice actors, Hollywood actors to be very specific. And, uh, and there's a red flag right there already, right? But yep. they, uh, kids, they cannot read as fast as I can. I'm the best hyper at my uh, place of work, and I'm surrounded by kids that are, you know, half my age. And and that that's that's scary to me that a 20 year old is typing slowly. And, <laughs> it's funny, and I'm flying past them. You know, it's funny you should mention that because when I worked in the corporate world all the way up to around 2008, when the other crash came, and I said I'm never doing this again. I was working around young people that had both master's and bachelor's degree, and I was hired to write <laughs> um, because they they just. I mean, they could write, but just not at the level that was required for a multi-million dollar construction company or whoever I happen to be doing business with. But we're coming to the top of the hour. I'm going to ask you guys, um, you came up in the 80s. Jason, what's the big game that mattered on your childhood memory? What was the one that stands out above all others? Super Mario Brothers. How about you, George? I couldn't agree more. It's the one that was on everyone's lips and you didn't even have to be a nerd to know about it. Where did you grow up, Jason? Pennsylvania? Yep. Where did you grow up, George? I grew up on Long Island. Goes to show you the scope and reach of exactly. what comes yeah, coast to coast. So so that was that an Atari game with like the little insert cartridge? Nope. That was the dawn of the Nintendo age. Ah. And that's actually something I'd like to get into for hour two. The whole social engineering behind obsessive culture with a platform. Because the Atari yeah, everybody loved it, but it was kind of limited. And kind of like with Pong, you start getting bored with it after a while. But the Nintendo, oh my, now we're starting to get into some serious stuff. Well, it's, it's yep. ironic how they end up pushing that as well, because when my nephews in the early, well, the mid-90s, they would see a thing advertising a game which had the sweet video, they'd go get the game and they'd been taken because the games, <laughs> the games couldn't keep up with the video that we're showing. Um, yeah. So even that pushed it along. But we're going to wrap up our one. We're going to come back. Uh, we'll be able to get into a, a few more things. But in my mind, knowing what I know now, there's no separating any of it. The big cultural events from any facet of life in America that I'm familiar with that were owned and operated by the big companies, they seem to have had a cogent plan that was going to come to, I guess, 2020. 2020 feels rushed. Whether or not it is, I guess we'll wait another 10 years to look back and know all the things we know then. No different than 2001. Something doesn't smell right in 2001, but the, by the time you get to 2010, oh my God, it's all Fugazi and you know it. And no one can tell you any different because it's obvious on the face of it. 
But one of the things that gaming is going to do here is it's going to leverage on the younger generations coming up that have never known a time before the internet. And what we now know about the internet is it's going to become a crappy information source. It's going to be censored. And we're guessing that before long, you're going to have your little internet passport to do anything. And everything you do will give data for collection, whether you're in a first-person shooter or you're writing a document for your work or something like that. But that does bring hour one of episode 308 to a close. Join us on the other side for hour two at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And we're going to get into a hell of a lot of things, but it, it goes to show, man, we're, we kind of are living in a little controlled jar. And we used to think much differently about where we exist maybe 20 years ago. But there it is, man. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Join us on the other side at Crow777radio.com. Cheers.